0: Greetings, this is The Pub, Australia Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Trey Bourne.
1: I'm Molly Crassel, And I'm Sarah Willis.
0: Today on the show, love stories. <laughs> Yay. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, in the blizzard that three of us are currently in... <laughs>
1: Yeah, Trey, you lucky dog.
0: Yeah, it's rainy and 60 here.
1: (laughs) Oh,
2: boo-hoo. But
1: to keep warm. Warm with
0: a touching stories and we've been by the fire. No, we haven't.
2: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Were we supposed to pick happy stories?
0: No. Well, I got bad news. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, because it's me. I did not.
2: Oh good. (laughs) Um,
0: But Trey has a story that he would like to, maybe a story and a poem. Is it a poem? What are you What are you talking to us no. about? <laughs>
3: no, no, I'm not that gooby. Talk about sad stories. I was going to talk about Raymond Carver's. What we talk about when we talk about love, and we would all just be comatose at the end. I think. Yeah. But instead, I thought it'd be a little more healthy and optimistic, uh, in my choice. Uh, and it was a show that I watched recently on Hulu called Normal People, and it was really to me by surprise. Most of the shows that you watch these days having to do with romanticism or uh, romantic comedies are pretty formulaic. And there's usually some big, uh, you know, tension. There's some tension. There's some reveal. There's some mistaken identity or something that they have to overcome. And everybody's happy at the end. The, this show takes place in Ireland. And it involves two childhood friends who grow up together from different types of backgrounds. And they grow up, go to the same college, and, uh, and it follows them through college and after college. And they're very close, good friends, but they're also obviously very much in love with each other. But there's just things they can't get around the whole time. Um, but the whole time I was watching the show, it was so... Unlike any other show I've seen recently, I couldn't quite put my finger on why it was so unusual, but so beautiful, too. And I think it reminded me of this book. It's actually uh, Rainer Wil- Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet. And it's, Rilke is conversing with a poet um, a, who's trying to break into the biz, so it was. Um, or so it is, I should say. And one thing he, they get into a long conversation back and forth about love. And one of uh, what's happened is the younger poet has had his heart broken and he's devastated. And he doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. As a right? Well, hey, yeah, right. And, and he's write, devastated. Write yeah, <laughs> yeah why, why? that's the only reason you would write a poem, I guess. <laughs> But,
2: oh, so many wait, reasons. but
3: I'm kidding. I'm, I'm very untalented. So that's why I have to say that I write a poem if I wanted to. So anyway, and he's talking about why it's important to be sad and why it's important to be solitary when you're sad. And I'm just going to read it. He says, That's why it is so important to be solitary and attentive when one is sad, because the seemingly uneventful, emotionless moment when one future steps into us is so much closer to life than that other loud and accidental point of time when it happens to us as if from outside. The quieter we are, the more patient and open we are in our sadness, the more deeply and serenely the new presence can enter us. And the more we can make it our own, the more it becomes our fate. And later on, when it happens, we will feel related and close to it in our innermost being. And that, that has always uh, resonated with me. And that's why I think that this show resonated with me, too, is because unlike most other romantic comedies or shows we see, that we're bombarded with. There's a lot of loudness. You know, there's a lot of, oh, I'm mad because here's this text message I found and I'm going to scream and run and jump up and down. There was really none of this in the show. It was, a lot of it was inner dialogue. A lot, of, a lot of it was just moments, looks on their faces, a lot of su- uh, quietness. Um, but I think in, it also revealed a lot of vulnerability. What was clear between the two characters was that they were able to be vulnerable with each other. And I think that that is what that true love really was. And they have other relationships throughout the show, and always, there's always that ability to not be vulnerable with the other person they're with, whether it's through sex or through uh, revealing who they are as a person. There's always those uh, barriers. But when the two get together... There's just that vulnerability. They they trust each other. They're able to be vulnerable with each other, and that's what I think that this show was to me was just very beautiful compared to most of the shit I see <laughs> on a daily basis. So that's when we were talking about this. That was something I, that's just fresh on my mind, and I thought that I would uh, bring it up.
0: Yeah, the the comedic structure, the sort of typical kind of Jane Austen novel girl meets boy, boy meets girl, boy meets boy, series of kind of misunderstandings and then a kind of wedding at the end. I used to teach uh The Princess Bride, which is very classic sure. you know love story. And the last few semesters I taught Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which yeah. is also a love story and also a comedy. But it sounds more like what you're saying. Probably the tagline of the movie is Clem saying, I'm just a fucked up girl looking for a little peace of mind or something like that. It's not a typical kind of love story, which is nice, right? For for a change.
3: Yeah, you know, you just get so tired, at least I do. I get so tired of the mistaken identity or hearing the wrong information and then the wacky friend who is, you know, the, or the wacky neighbor or the, um, the streetwise friend who tells them, you know, oh, you need to move on. And, you know, it's just all those tropes over and over and over again. And this one was just, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm just uh, sentimental in my old age, but it was just nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, yeah. you know, it, it, I mean, there were some pretty tough subjects uh, that they uh, confronted throughout the show. And it was, I think, it's about eight episodes. To me, it was just beautiful, and it was. It's really, I think, it's really hard to do something like that. It's really hard to be the show vulnerability and to maintain a level of interest, you know, for the the viewer. But they did it very, very well. So, highly recommend that. One.
2: Sounds like a step away from the more like Shakespearean sort of comedies into something that's a lot more realistic. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, what we see on a screen or what we engage in in a story isn't necessarily... There's a time and place for some of those tropes and cliches, but there's also a time when they become overused, when they become cliche, when you get tired of them, and when there's something more real and perhaps true to life and you know something like that it's a lot more refreshing I think to look at
0: talk about vulnerability and trust and all that stuff don't we see it as contrived a lot of times oh for sure I mean I do absolutely you know the romantic comedy it's not normally up for best picture or or whatever and I think part of that is because we're so you we don't we don't trust it I mean we love to ha- a good love story but we don't we don't. We don't trust that it's real
1: because we're also jaded.
0: Yeah, jaded,
3: and the, you know the reason I think it's hard is because it's hard to be vulnerable in a relationship. Period. You know, I mean, when you start dating someone, you're basically putting on a false front. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, are you? You're, you're, well, you're put on your best shirt. What are and, you guys uh, doing? <laughs> you're, you know,
2: no, you're not admitting here. Oh, no, no, no. You, with
3: Star Wars you must and stuff, take you know, all of this here.
2: as it is or I do not have time for you. <laughs> we go hard. <laughs> we go hard.
0: I remember talking to my wife and saying, trying to convince her to watch King Kong, the movie. And well, I told her go? it didn't go well. <laughs> and I told her it's a love story. And she said, it's not a love story. I said, it's a love story between a woman and a monkey. <laughs> and, it, right. and it is. It it really is, right?
2: Uh you know, I don't remember. It is. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word
0: for
1: it. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen classic King Kong to confirm or deny your claims.
3: But a lot of love stories like that though, it, it involves obsession. And, you know, and, and I think sometimes <laughs> there's a lot of ways that Hollywood or even poets and novelists I mean they must they, they transform, they merge obsession and love into the same
0: thing. I
2: hate that this is the perfect segue into my story.
0: Go. <laughs> do you have a story of obsession?
2: I, I do. I have a story of obsession between man and beast. It's the last unicorn. <laughs> oh, yes. <yeah, so> <laughs> it's basically King Kong. It's basically King yeah. Kong. That's it. You don't yeah. even need to read it, even though you should. And I recommend it. So <laughs> The Last That's Unicorn, uh, which begins, its, it's fantasy, but it's fantasy with a love story in it. So we were, we were thinking about love stories for this episode, and I was like, cool, what's the weirdest, most unusual thing that I can think of or that has stuck in my memory uh, as, as a story of love? And The Last Unicorn definitely comes to mind as one of the more unusual and more painful ones. So the book was written in 1968 by Peter S. Beagle, um, but most people who know of it know of the children's movie, the animated movie that it was made into in, I believe, 1980, I want to say six, definitely the 80s. It is an essential part of many people in my particular cohort's childhood. Sarah, I'm sure you remember. I haven't. You haven't? missed that one. Huh. <laughs> I don't
3: recommend it. Is it sad? I don't
0: want it. It's so
2: sad. Like little like four-year-old me is like, oh yeah, cool. Unicorns, that'll be fun, right? No, that it's like the sourest ending possible. It's incredibly bittersweet because what the last unicorn is, is a story of loss of innocence. You have this, you know, this ethereal creature, this unicorn who is immortal, who has no understanding of the depth of feeling of which mortal beings uh possess or feel on a daily basis because she's timeless it never none of that matters to her uh she discovers one day that she is the last of her people and says well that can't be right like unicorns are everywhere uh goes on a quest to find them and along the way she makes a couple unusual friends um and one of them is a magician who ends up turning her into a human to protect her Because the unicorns are gone, she is the last, and they're being hunted. So when this creature comes up to her, when they face this confrontation, she gets transformed into a human, and they go to a castle where she meets a prince. So, of course, as a unicorn, she's this ludicrously beautiful person now, right? So, of course, the prince falls in love with her. Um... And it is a fairy tale, you know, so there's there's not there's not uh, following on the tale of normal people. It's not like their love is built on actual communication or real human shared experiences or anything like that. It's just that she has this ethereal beauty and utterly ensnares him and he becomes pretty much obsessed with her. Uh, and she becomes very obsessed with him in turn because she's never been quite so doted upon or being now mortal and human has never experienced the feelings of love or devotion the way that she might have been when, say, she was a unicorn and young girls were coming to her to lavish her for her beauty or whatever. Um, so they they get into this really concerningly intense relationship that has very little foundation to it. And then... Um, the magician's like, "Okay, we got to go back to our quest and save all the unicorns." And she's like, "Well, what if I don't want to do that anymore?" And the prince is like, "Yeah, what if she doesn't want to do that?" But of course, that can't be how the story ends. So she does eventually turn back into a unicorn, uh defeat the evil, and he never really gets over that. Like he upset he accepts that as a hero, as a prince, it is his duty to, you know, fight evil to see this quest through to the end, but it's at great personal cost to him. Uh, and by the time the end of it comes, they're like, okay, you're the king now. You gotta, you gotta take care of everything. And he's
3: like, oh, fine. Okay.
0: <laughs> I think in some ways, duty and ritual come into a lot of these stories. The one I'm going to talk about is similar too. it's like, there's a, there's a dance that we have to do, even though we're not, Princes, right? Mm-hmm. Or unicorns.
2: Speak for Speak yourself.
3: For
0: uh, <laughs> <wow>. uh, <laughs> there it is.
3: <laughs> well, you're saying that I was so glad no one said love actually, because I was going to be like really mad. But oh, no
1: one, someone did that though. one.
3: But <laughs>
1: I'm it's not saying there.
3: Well, you know, there's the, a couple of stories in there where they do choose. Well, I'm going to. I'm really in love with this other person, but out of duty or doing the right thing, I'm not going to pursue that. But yeah, you see that a lot too. Except, but.
0: except Rick Grimes holds up the the no cards. The no I cards. That's triggers. right. The Kira Knightley. <laughs> yes, yeah, the yeah, Kira Knightley. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: Um, I, I thought when you were going to when you were talking about loss of Innocence, I've, i I've not seen The Last Unicorn, but I was. I was really hoping we wouldn't get into Puff the Magic Dragon oh, here no. the territory because no. <laughs> I would be crying like a baby. I mean, it. it doesn't
2: it doesn't leave you feeling good. You don't expect a love story going in. Suddenly one slips in and you're like, oh, cool, I'm sure that'll end really well. Well, the unicorn has been forever changed by her experience and can now can no longer relate to all of her people in the same way. So even though she's brought all of the good and the light and the unicorns back into the world, she's an outsider, can never go back to the way she was. Uh, the prince is absolutely consumed by his love for her to the point where he actually does sacrifice himself and die and then she brings him back to life and then he's just like cursed by the memory of her there's a sequel story if you didn't think it ended poorly enough it's like okay well everybody's cranky but they're doing their duty and like the quest is over and everything's good right there's a sequel short story (laughs) where the prince is like a super old king and he's just like lost his damn mind muttering about the unicorn
3: that sounds horrible they see not each other it. Again.
2: no 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 it's not it's not happy it's not feel good but it might teach us something important i don't know what that is yet but <laughs> so, <laughs> what i'm getting from this is the the unicorn is less a king
1: kong allegory and more that she's wolverine that's what i'm hearing
2: i don't know anything about wolverine <laughs>
1: She is a hero cursed to immortality, who has a great effect on many people's lives and leaves them. That's not untrue. The last unicorn is Wolverine.
3: Aura is like Wonder Woman, you know. You could just pop up in the eighties, and you know, no, being I'm sorry, I'm not going to go off on Wonder Woman. I'll stop. <laughs> I've been doing it. I've been doing it for the past month. I'm not going to do
0: it anymore. Trey's
3: obsessed with Wonder Woman.
0: I like that. It's now an uh, allegory of King Kong. Like when I talked to my wife, I said it's a love story, and she said, "No, it, no, it is not."
1: Do you think King Kong versus Godzilla is enemies to lovers?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: enemies to friends to lovers. <laughs> out in
0: the end. <laughs> I watched the old uh, one with Shen a week and a half ago, and man, is that bad! Like the really uh, old
1: one, the rubber costume. Yeah, one? the
0: rubber suit. Yeah.
1: And they're like taking yeah, and- the stick and like shoving yeah, it down cut to yeah, the throat. Yeah.
0: yeah, and they picked the worst monkey outfit for the for King Kong. I mean, you could see he used it to was to like
2: budget on the Godzilla costume.
0: That's yes, right. yeah, <laughs> you could see like it was a, the the rubber suit had deteriorated in the face. It was oh. it was. It was
3: horrible. <laughs> I th- I thought you were going to talk about the Jessica Langwin, you know which. Yep. Like all seventies movies, I think was a pure cocaine allegory myself. <laughs> like, but that's just me.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, and then who redid it with Jack Black reading from Heart of Darkness? Yeah, what yeah.
2: on earth? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Skull Island.
0: Yeah, it was a horrible movie. Jack
2: Black is a, a national treasure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was right after Lord of the Rings too, and he had so much.
0: He
2: used you to ball the budget on I, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> It was horrible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a terrible movie. (laughs) Yeah. Although King Kong movies, don't you expect them to be pretty horrible?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I remember Naomi Watts was pretty glamorous in that movie.
0: Yeah, she was. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Sarah, is yours at least a little more?
3: (laughs) Any bestiality coming our way now?
0: Well, (laughs) see, that's
2: the worst part about it, too, is that they're like, dude, she's a unicorn. And he's like, yeah, I know. I don't care. Oh. oh! Took a bad turn. <laughs> While wow, she's still human, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs>
1: uh, you know when I was trying to think about my favorite love stories, I realized I might have a brand because I was thinking. Oh. <laughs> Read the text. I really like. I like Ray and Kylo. I like <gasps> uh cruel prince. So that's a oh, dude and a do you yeah. like Sundari's? Who Sundari's? Sundari? Oh, a, yeah, 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 no, yes, probably. I, uh, <laughs>
2: it's
1: not like I like you um, or anything. Baka. <laughs> <laughs> uh I like uh, Sergey Moss is always pretty good. I was thinking about uh, Resend and Farah, uh, but I think my absolute favorite is is Kaz and Inej from Six of Crows, but they're all pretty. Broody, will they? Won't they? Not very like mushy gushy. Probably tried to kill each other at some point. So that's, <laughs> <a lot laughs> that's of, sense to of me. <laughs> that's what I like. No. <laughs> so, um, so
3: let me ask you this question: the trope of the bad boy but the golden heart, you know, the, the or the heart of gold. The bad boy who really has a heart of gold. At what point I'm in so your life well. did you? Yeah. What, what point? Of, like in real life, like the bad boy is just really a piece of shit. I mean, oh no, like, it's
1: it's it's very <laughs> it doesn't exist in real life. It's often <laughs> but it's very enjoyable consumption. Um no I'm uh,
3: <laughs> good. good.
1: Six of Crows, uh Kaz and Inej, I love their love story because it's very much it's not a typical love story. They're broken people and and they struggle to love each other and they i don't even know if they completely succeed they i guess they maybe they succeed in their own ways um kaz can't touch anyone because of his horrible terrible trauma which i cannot wait to see what netflix does with this he's got an awful heart-wrenching backstory what you said trey about vulnerability i think that's the thing that's the nugget in the center of like my little emo edgelord uh brand is I, the more two characters are hard and hate each other and when they come together and, like, are vulnerable with each other, I think it's the payoff that I love the most.
3: Yeah, it is good. When it's, when it's done right, it's definitely, it's definitely great.
0: I, my brand is always sad.
2: Just yeah,
0: sad. it really
3: is. <laughs> I didn't realize
2: this was about brands. I am in no way supporting bestiality. <laughs> Holly's
1: <laughs> a furry. No! Don't
2: tell them!
3: Hide your goats, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
1: oh,
3: <geez. laughs> one, this one has gone off the rails.
1: With Thou's love, <laughs>
3: delicious, sweet.
1: <Just>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I picked Never Let Me Go by Ishiguru. And I've read it twice. I remember reading it. We read it for book club. I I remember reading, reading it, and one of the book club members, Michael, just didn't like it, despised it, really. And then after the talk, was like, "Well, that was that was actually a pretty good, pretty good book." <laughs> Probably because I so so passionately kind of argued for it, and I watched the film version of it. This time to kind of refresh my memory with the characters and stuff. And Trey had said he watched it and, and read the book. As a result, I did it the other way, which I usually try to do. You know, I've I've not even read the Harry Potter books. I'm not. I'm going to wait until my son gets old enough and then read them and watch the film. So I've I've I have no Harry Potter ness. Can't say but, recommend. Yeah. <laughs> um but I did this the old fashioned way, kind of read the book first and then watch the movie. And I, I feel like if I wouldn't have read the book first, I wouldn't have read the book. The film is very sad. (laughs) My wife said, um, it's about androids, which it is not. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, they were not androids. That would kind of defeat the purpose.
0: Or I think she said robots. I said, no, it's clones. But one of the things I like about the, the book and the movie is that both skirt um, science fiction completely. It's sort of speculative fiction.'t It's a sort of what if? What if there were a way for the human race to, you know, live much longer, indefinitely, if we all had clones of ourselves and we could harvest the organs of those clones whenever we needed? But it's told from the, perspectives, the perspective of the clones, kind of growing up in this very posh English boarding school as young kids. And they don't know what they are. They don't, they don't know what they are. And eventually they find out, our main characters find out, and think that they, there's a rumor that they can get a deferral. Uh, giving up their organs if they can prove that they're human.
2: Oh, I see where this is going.
0: Yeah, one of the ways that they show that they're human is art, and the main character, uh, the male main character is a horrible artist, and draws all of these animals and things like that, and all the other kids laugh at him, his art is never picked. And the other... Is to show to to verify, be able to verify that you are in love, and it's a very sad story about uh, the two main characters. There's a really kind of a love triangle going on throughout the, the whole novel, uh, but the two main characters who never quite get together in their youth. Um, the one girl steals the guy away because she doesn't want to be alone, and so there's this kind of love at a distance between these two characters who finally get together in the end, but only after the guy's gone through his second surgery to give away, you know, his organs. It ends very poorly. Um, Ends with him living through four uh, surgeries to give up organs and finally succumbing uh, in the end but i don't i i guess i don't know what about it i usually like i've in the past I, I i'm not a big um like i've read jane austen stuff i'm not a big formulaic person but i i don't really know that i have uh i in the past i've talked about willa cather's uh books and those are also sort of about love and loss at the same time well
3: that's the thing about uh, you know, love is you want to always be on the, the cheery side and the bright side. But really, in my experience, you know, I, I've lost loved ones at a young age and it, it was awful. But it does every time I try to talk to someone who's lost a parent or lost, you know, someone, I, I always like, you know, it sucks. You have to accept the grief and you have to grieve and you have to. Not try to get over it because it's always going to be with you. But the good news is it'll make you love deeper later because, you know, if you don't know the loss, if you don't know that there will at some point it won't be there, then that makes it deeper.
0: Yeah.
2: Brighter light by contrast.
1: Stop crying,
3: Sarah. I see you (laughs) crying. I know that that was a really deep thought that made you cry. So stop, please.
1: (laughs) No, I was thinking about uh, or you become obsessed I was thinking of Molly. So I was taking the dark path (laughs) of my brain and you go mad in your castle. (laughs) Everybody
2: has such a bad time.
0: I think it's interesting how these things are perverted in real life in a lot of ways. You know? Yeah. The bad boy is never a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah. Never turns out unless he has a lightsaber.
2: The, right. I don't think that <laughs> makes a difference necessarily because what if that <laughs> lightsaber is red? Because then, like, that's mm-hmm. sort of a problem, especially if it's red, especially if a it's cool red. hilt.
1: It mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Don't and question my, it.
0: My lost story is not a good one, <laughs> and I guess. The bestiality story is not
2: (laughs) (laughs) not bestiality, guys. I so it's it's curious too, I think, what uh passes or what is acceptable in fairy tale and what we hold the more realistic literature accountable to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very much so. Yours isn't the sort of typical I joked about King Kong, but King Kong is phantom of the opera. Yeah. It's beauty and the beast, right? The guy is a monster um, and sort of tamed by love in many ways. Um, Yours is a different take.
2: Yeah. Beauty is the beast and love is a distraction. There you go. Deep cut.
3: (laughs) Yes. And the thing about vulnerability and pain and all that, it's, you know, you have to have that risk, you know, that you will be hurt. And, you know, whether you're a monster or a goat, uh, in Molly's case, and, you know, you got to...
2: Thank you very much.
3: That you know that you have to say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be vulnerable, and you know, if I, they feel like they're a monster, or they feel like that they're unlovable, but they still take that risk. You know, there's that vulnerability that hopefully will either (laughs) experience true love or rejection or pain. It all kind of intertwines.
2: Well, and sometimes true love is not best for your life either. Apparently,
0: true. Yeah, that's the sort of the way I teach. The Mending Wall, you know, I mean, it's not really a love story. It's about two people who, the Robert Frost poem, it's about two people who are building, really doing something unhealthy or healthy in a lot of ways. They're building a wall between them so that they could be good good neighbors, right? Um, Good fences make good neighbors. Probably the most kind of misquoted line in poetry ever. You know, that we're supposed to walk away from that poem understanding the speaker's point of view, which is something there is that doesn't love a wall. Something there is doesn't love a wall, like something in nature and then in our souls. We want to break down those walls. But when we do, often there's pain because the other person sort of has the keys. Um yeah. and can do really what they want. And right? people don't want to
3: be hurt. Yeah. You know I mean, yes. I was gonna talk about um you know what we talk about when we talk about love, and that's basically they don't know they're not talking about love because they don't want to be hurt. And so they oh. have uh, all these artificial barriers between each other. Because yeah. they don't want to get hurt.
0: That's a great story, by the way. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know, the the one of the main characters of the not the narrator, but one of the main characters is a heart surgeon. Not to be kind of lost on us. The
2: allegory,
0: yeah,
1: heavy, heavy handed. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) this should have been an uplifting.
3: (laughs) I love all of y'all. Dean already told me he loved me in one of our previous podcasts, so I'm just filled with love for all everybody.
2: Be vulnerable, love openly. Yeah,
3: no, I
1: uh, mine wasn't sad. I said, uh, you know, they they took down their walls. They became vulnerable with each other. And
2: I'm like, consider the greater good.
3: (laughs) And normal people ended up being happy. I mean, (laughs) it ended up being kind of in a good place, you know, not in uh, the typical romantic way, but in a good, healthy place.
1: I did like Beast as a kid. Am I a furry?
2: (laughs) Uh, That's a different episode. (laughs) 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 Did you like man-beast or beast Beast? Beast Beast, for sure. I don't
3: think that's technically a furry unless you're at Disney World.
2: <laughs>
3: the story, it's bestiality. I mean, you know, so let's be clear.
2: It's a metaphor. <laughs>
0: okay, let's I'm that, <laughs> no, I'm that furry.
2: The warm cuddly. furry feeling that you feel in your heart. <laughs> when you're in love.
3: That's not... <laughs> <laughs>
0: The Pub is produced on that series of tubes we all know as the internet from the studios at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office. You can listen in on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, where we post new episodes every Monday. You can also find us at StrayLightMag.com, where we publish new stories, poetry, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and at The Pub Podcast on Twitter. Thanks for listening to The Pub, Australia Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing.